When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Two with the bases loaded and one out. Oh, oh my God! Deep to right field, way up there and way out of here. Second deck walk off home run. Grand slam. Hello and welcome in everyone to episode one seventy two of the Bases Loaded Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host Mike Curland. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. And tonight I roll solo. It is spring training. It's in full effect. And if you follow me on Twitter, you'll know that it's all lineups all the time. And I'm going to talk about five things that are on my mind. Now, there's a lot more. I have an article coming out on The Athletic. I have bonus stuff I put out on the Patreon. So if you want to check us out on the Patreon, you'll see some of my bonus thoughts, um, stuff I post ex- exclusively there, not even to Twitter. So um, that's patreon.com slash playbook. But I also put all my write-ups on there daily. And, we're you know, we have the chat. We have so much going on over there on at Fresh Cape Playbook, so come check it out. Again, George, me, we have Ryan. We have a few things going on. Not to mention, we do have a new co-host to the podcast coming up probably this week. We're going to start doing some more Dynasty talk once a week, so looking forward to that. Um, what else is there? Oh, five-star rating review. But other than that, if you don't mind doing that on your way in or on your way out, we're going to just jump right into these five things. Again, I have like a 4,500-word article coming out on The Athletic, breaking down team-by-team team, trends I'm noticing, um, stuff I'm watching for, et cetera. But these are some of the things, like, like I said, I'm doing about five, trying to keep this to be a kind of quick pot. In that case, I should probably shut up and just get to it. So let's see, five things. First thing I want to talk about this spring training is the Miami lineup. People are so caught up or at least were caught up with the whole Garrett Cooper versus Jesus Aguilar. And if you look last year, Aguilar would edge him out for first base and then Cooper would, you know, give Aguilar literally a day off a week while he was healthy. But with the DH, everyone thought, well, they signed Jorge Soler. It's going to be Soler, Cooper, and Aguilar fighting for DH spots in first base. I'm like, no, no, no. Pretty sure Soler's going to play left field. They only they had De La Cruz uh, as I think one of their outfielders. And I'm like, Soler played, you know, left field for the Braves. I think it was left field. He played the outfield for the Braves regardless. And he is an outfielder. He's not the best outfielder, but he's an outfielder. And before he played a single game, Soler, that is, we we already saw Sanchez, Jesus Sanchez kind of take those reps in center. That was already a hint that's like, all right, they're obviously opening up a spot in the corner outfield for Soler. For some reason, everyone kept, I know I'm getting a lot of questions on Twitter about it. But I just wanted to point out the fact that we saw one lineup. And yes, it's only one lineup. So I understand it's not nearly enough of a sample. But it was already right there. Like, they're willing to do this. Soler was in left field, leading off against a lefty, by the way. That left room for Cooper and Aguilar to feast. Like They're going to play every day. I think now Soler will get days off in DH, but those are going to be built-in days off for Aguilar to keep him healthy anyway. He was taking a day off a week last year as well. There's no reason why he won't be able to do that this year, and Cooper will obviously play first base slash DH. So Cooper's going to gain first base eligibility. And he's going to hit in the middle of the order. Aguilar is going to hit somewhere between the four to six spot. 
And Solaire is going to slot in between, you know, the top of the order. So they're all going to get theirs. And it's kind of a sneaky good lineup, especially if Cooper can stay healthy and Aguilar. Aguilar quietly put up like 93, I think, RBI last year for this team. Crazy considering how bad it was. Cooper always just shows the potential. Cooper has hit 281 or better in three straight seasons. OBP is a 344 better in three straight seasons. These are all limited games playing time because he has a career high 107 games at the major league level. And that was in 2019. So obviously health has been an issue, but when he's healthy, Garrett Cooper is a solid bat and deserves your attention in fantasy. And he's going deep enough for deep enough leagues where he's going to be an outfield type, but he can, he's going to have corner infield eligibility slash first base, obviously sooner than later. So I wanted to address the Miami lineup situation. Jesus Sanchez is in for everyday playing time. Uh, Avisayo Garcia as well. Chisholm, he should lead off against righties, might fall towards lefties. That's why we saw him bat ninth against this last lefty with Soler in the lineup. That could stick, but I wouldn't be concerned because although he did bat eighth, I think, to follow up the next day, he has let off pretty much every single game Chisholm has. So I'm not concerned because of one lineup when it comes to him. Um, yeah, and he's had a strong spring, like hitting over 300, home run, a steal. The fact that he's running in spring when it doesn't matter tells you all you need to know. Um, I've changed my tune on him. I've been very notably out on him, but then I drafted my first OC of this season, which is a 12 team with fab. So it's, you know, we were wiring all that and I drafted him. Cause I'm like, wow, the upside makes sense in shallower formats where the potential to replace them off the waiver wire is that much easier. Not to mention if he gets injured, the type of stats you can get to replace them, not terrible. So that's the Miami lineup moving over to the Orioles lineup. Mancini playing the outfield is great because in deeper formats where he is more valuable to your teams, Mancini will have first base and probably play outfield enough to get gain eligibility. He's probably going to take about a month or so to get it. And especially if it's 20 games, but if you play in a league, that's like 10 games or five games. I think Mancini gets outfield eligibility relatively quickly and he's going to hit in the middle of the order. They've already said Mount Castle is going to be a first baseman, which we've seen this spring. We've seen Mancini play left field, I think, two or three times already out of like six or seven starts. I have a – it's on the spring train lab tracker. It actually has – I've been keeping tabs. I just don't have it open in front of me because it's all off the top of the dome because it all is just ready to come out of my head, out of through my head, out of my mouth, and ready for you to just take in the info. So ignore the excitement and the rambling, but – it's just all ready to be talked about. And another Oriole I want to speak about is Jorge Mateo. I'm planting my flag here. Again, I know it's also very early in spring training, but Jorge Mateo is starting with every main like lineup when it comes when I say main lineup, it's like the lineup that has all the core starters in. Mateo has been playing shortstop for three out of four of those games and then second base for the fourth game. Ramon Urias did get shortstop in this last game, but Mateo didn't sit for Rognit Odor. He started just at second base. So Mateo comes into the season as a deep league speed option already. Had a strong-ish finish. Like he didn't have a... The thing is, is he was injured for the second half or part of the second half. But when he did play, he actually had himself a solid uh, little finish to the year. I'm pulling it up right now because I came unprepared. Um, in the second half, he had 121 plate appearances, so nothing special, but three home runs, seven stolen bases for Mateo over that over the 121 plate appearances, batting 288, 333, 519 slug. Strikeout rate sub 25%, solid. Babip only 333, so the high batting average was earned, not Babip luck, with a WRC plus of 129. So Jorge Mateo finally showed what he was capable of in the second half. And I think he can carry that over. Now I know the power won't play, but that, that, that wall could play to his favor in terms of batting average. And we want Mateo on base more than we want him hitting home runs anyway, because, well, let's be honest, we want the stolen bases. So Mateo should not only play, or at least I'm banking on him playing already every day, 
So he's a guy I'm looking at the back end of my shallower formats, watch list, but in deeper formats, Mateo's a guy I really want. But he's going to gain eligibility in the infield. And if it's shortstop, second base, or both, now he can he could be upwards of two to three position eligible type of guy. So someone I'm really in on, Mateo. Um, just wanted to make sure I touched on that. Um, the Braves, I don't know what's happening. Um, they were a team that I thought were showing their hand. And then it's like, okay, Swanson has not, he's been hitting at the bottom line all offseason. They turn around and lead him off yesterday. And that has me thinking, well, that's what I expected. I expected Swanson to lead off while Cunha was out. So two, three weeks of lead off Swanson. But when you look at that lineup, Swanson not only is um is likely to hit the bottom of the lineup when it's healthy, but he actually hits better in his career towards the bottom of the lineup. Between six and nine, he has been stronger and put up better numbers in his career to this point hitting in the bottom of the lineup. So I'm not sure if they're looking at that. The Braves are a smart you know, team. I would think. I mean, they obviously just won the World Series. They know what they're doing. Rosario, we saw him lead off at times last year. Rosario can lead off um, during this span as well. I think they're toying with the lineup a little bit. But I think Swanson's best served in the bottom lineup in terms of like at least what he's done in his career. And ultimately, I think he ends up there now. That does affect his, uh, you know, a little bit. If he hit towards sixth, we're good. If he's hitting at ninth or eighth, that's not going to – this lineup was deeper than it was last year too. So if he's hitting eighth or ninth, that's going to hurt because in Swanson, you, it's more of a compiler type of deal. You know he's going to play every day usually. And with that comes the stats. He's not a go-out-there-and-get-him type of stats guy. He's a, he's a guy who just falls into him. So if you're taking Swanson, you take away some of those plate appearances as he bats towards the bottom of that lineup, the 27 home runs wherever he put up last year will turn into 24, 25-ish. The stolen bases are nine. He doesn't really have any stolen bases to give. You're drafting him for that. But now he's losing out on runs and RBI if he's hitting towards the bottom of the lineup. Not a death sentence, but does need to be um, that you should pay attention to that. A player I like more than him going after him, just for reference, is Ahmed Rosario because of the opposite. He might be on a worse team, but he is plugged into that top two of the order. He has been hitting second all spring training. Ahmed Rosario is a guy that should give you what? 12 and 12, 15 and 15 even, but closer to 100 runs. Yeah, the RBIs won't be there, so you could draft RBIs elsewhere, but you're getting a better batting average, more likely, more than likely more steals out of Ahmed Rosario. The home runs won't be as much, but the runs will be better. So a little bit of a different skill set, but you get the point is you can get like that. I think the big appeal for Swanson is the speed and you're getting better stats otherwise, including speed from Rosario. So it's like, I understand it's might be it's it's weird. Like I never thought I'd say I want Rosario ahead of him, but I do. I think Rosario is safer at this point too. All things considered, um, I know I'm kind of alone on that. I'm sure it's not a common thought, but maybe, maybe it is. Maybe, maybe I maybe it is more common than I realize. I just haven't seen much of that talk. Uh, well, and Albies. This one caught my attention too because Albies has slid to six the last two right-handed pitchers that they faced. And if you look at Albies' track record, he has a career 94 WRC plus against righties and. League average is 100 for reference. So he's below average against right-handed hitters, uh, right-handed pitchers, but Albies is also a guy that compiles. So if you take away a few of the bats, I'm not saying it's a huge, it's not a huge difference in his value, but you're still taking away plate appearances for a guy that requires plate appearances to give you the full potential of his fantasy production. So Albies is a guy we're just watching closely. I'm not ready to say he's going to be batting sixth, but if he did move down against righties, move up against lefties because the dude crushes lefties absolutely demolishes them. Albies could be a guy that, you know, maybe instead of the back end of the first, you ding him to the front, the early second. And that could be a difference in Albies or Luis Robert or Albies and um, Mookie Betts. If Mookie Betts proves healthy and starts running in spring, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not saying I, I still rather have Albies than Betts, but I'm like, I'd rather have Robert 
uh, Kyle Tucker I'd rather have. Although Kyle Tucker has his own question marks in terms of playing time, not playing time, in terms of batting spot in the order. Last year, Tucker played, and this wasn't even on the top five, but last year, Tucker played uh, most of the year batting like that fifth, sixth, seventh. And the reason why he even batted fifth a lot was because of injury. So in this team, it's not without you know injury possibility, but right now his first lineup with the starters, he hit seventh. And Tucker hit seventh in the playoffs. So it's not out of the question that Tucker gets screwed and had the bottom. I mean, it's a, it's an amazing lineup, but he might need an injury to move up. Now it's too early to tell again, because we're talking about one lineup way too early to tell, but he is a guy that we need to watch where he's, cause that could be a difference maker. Like if you're torn between Tucker and Robert, who do you want the two hitter of the white Sox or the six or seven hitter of the, of the Astros? That's a, that that's where the tiebreaker comes in. That's where these positions, that's where these lineup spots matter for these early round guys. So that's why I'm saying, just make sure you're watching where they're hitting because the early round guys, this is like where they can hit for a good part of the year. Cause obviously things can change injuries happen, et cetera, et cetera, but where they can, where these top hitters can hit for a good part of the year should change your opinion on them in term or not change their sorry they should for serve as a tiebreaker if you're torn on them or if you want to maybe maybe you're really in on this guy and you're like you know what let me let me diversify this is this kind of concerns me let me go ahead and you know i take albie's 10 out of 10 but let me let's take albie's 9 out of 10 and throw tucker or throw robert in there as my one out of 10 type of thing so that's all I'm, that's all i'm suggesting i'm not saying back off these guys by any means just keep this stuff in mind when you're drafting the um one thing i want to I mean, there's a couple of things. So for my big, the number four thing, because I've already mentioned Miami lineup, Orioles and Atlanta. I want to talk about some former top slash decent name prospects that are, uh, that are, you know, just having maybe being a little overlooked slash, you know, having good springs and I was talking about, but right now, Rowdy Tellez has started more with the regulars. I've noticed that. However, something, I mean, I, I, I've been kind of keeping them, you know, hand in hand uh, here, Keston here and Rowdy Tellez. Opponent quality, by the way, the higher, closer to 10, the better. And uh, opponent quality here has had an eight, which is triple A. Uh, Telez has had a 6.5. And for reference, seven is double A. And again, very small samples. So there's not much we can take from there. However, with Hira coming off a bad year with strikeouts being a problem, only three strikeouts and 16 plate appearances, the same as Telez. Hira is hitting 462, 563, 1,231 slug at three home runs and 16 play appearances obviously he's gonna have a huge slugging percentage but telez is having the opposite outcomes with 250 333 33 and 333 the ops is like sub 700 right now and the reason why i think this matters so early on is that we just just have to monitor it because i don't think rowdy Telez is necessarily guaranteed to stick at the starting first base spot if he were continues this hot run through spring because why would they slow down a former top prospect who's shown it in the big leagues to turn uh why would they sh- uh, turn him down for Rowdy Tellez who they grabbed off free agency last year? So I, I'm not I'm not sold that Tellez is going to be the guy at least by himself. I think that if here if this this trend needs to continue though. Right now is I think it is Tellez's job right now. It's just that here you know the outfield's already crowded. They have played here in the outfield, but he hasn't you know like there's no room for him there. So if he's showing some signs of life. Why wouldn't they put here back at first base and let's let's battle it out for at bats as a DH? Just my two cents. I was actually very anti-hero last year. So if you have been following this podcast for a while, you'll know that here is not a my guy or wasn't last year. And this year, I'm really I'm kind of in at the price. And the big thing is, is not only is here out producing Tellez early on, but he's also facing higher quality pitching while out producing him early on. So the combination of the two have me very intrigued on here. And I'm just watching again. These are things to monitor. Don't say, oh, this is what's going to happen because we can't say this yet. But the idea here is to identify these trends and try to get ahead of what could happen. So 
that's all this is. This is a like a hey, let's keep an eye on this, and maybe it will happen. Um, Alex Kurloff and Victor Robles, they're kind of at the bottom of the lineups. However, they did finally put Kurloff batting sixth today after consistently batting him eighth. The issue with Kurloff is that he's hitting like for a good batting average already, but there's been no power so far. And I'm wondering because he had a rough, you know, comeback from the wrist. Apparently it wasn't a great rehab. It was kind of like a slow and tedious rehab that maybe the power might not be there right away. Um, again, early we'll see, but he's hitting, he's hitting for great average. So he's not, it's not like he's having an issue seeing the ball, but the power hasn't been there yet. So we're going to have to see how that, uh, turns out for him, but Robles, the opposite Robles just hasn't been that great this spring. I mean, let me double check last I looked, but again, one at bat can change the whole outcome this early on. But I do like to keep my eyes on how certain players are playing this spring training because I think certain players, it means a little more for, especially coming off a bad year. You want to see them, you know, start off strong or at least have a decent start to the season. Victor Robles, yeah, in 11 plate appearances or 12 plate appearances as of right now as of this recording, zero, uh, zero hits. He has one strikeout and no walk like he's not striking out or, or not walking he's just not he's just hitting in the outs looks like so robust not a great sign and he's a guy that i've actually come around on grabbing late because of the speed and it looks like he's gonna play every day but not great so you have Kurilov, who's at least showing signs of life but can't get the hasn't gotten power going and then you have victor robust who's barely like you're poking with a stick and asking if it's like is it dead so you have those and you're gavin lux who i think lux is entering a Chris Taylor, Chris Taylor type of uh, situation this year where that's going to be his role. But the thing is, is I think Lux has a lot of competition. He has Edwin Rios. He has uh, Jay, uh, was it Jake Lam- is it Lamb, right? Lamb is there, I think. He has other options. These guys don't sound like much, but these guys can hit righties well, and Lux isn't going to face lefty. And he's a guy that you look at spring training. Yeah, the plate discipline's been great. The dude's hitting under 100 right now in, in 16 plate appearances. Um, I do think he'll get the first shot to kind of bounce around and be this super util type. I just don't know if maybe because he's playing the outfield this spring as well, so he could gain that eligibility. You know how players moving into new positions, sometimes there's a learning curve there, which affects their offense. At least that's a thing that people say. Um, that could be happening here with Lux. Lux hasn't shown it at the big league, big league level yet. Reasons for optimism because he's only 24 years old. I get it. But at the end of the day, it's not. It's not. he hasn't started coming alive yet in spring, and he hasn't done it in the past. So it's like, okay, when is it coming? And again, they have Evan Rios and other players that are capable bats as lefties. The last one I want to bring up, oh, sorry, there's two more. Varsho, is, Dar- is Dalton Varsho really going to lead off? I'm pretty sure he's let off four out of five of his starts this spring, and that includes games with Josh Rojas. I thought Rojas would be leading off, and he'd be, and, you know, Varsho would be hitting third. Either way, Varsho is going to be hitting top four in this lineup, which is already, a you know, a big benefit to a catcher. If you're, if you're a catcher hitting top four, top five in your lineup, that's already an upper hand that not a lot of catchers will have. But if Varsha's going to lead off, and not only lead off, but then play center field, so he's already going to get more at bats than your traditional catcher. Varsho is one of my he's one of my favorite catcher targets this off this off season or in general. And I've had him ranked fourth because I've had a hard time moving him up. But he's been like fourth, but fourth in a way of like where he's really my first target because I usually let the other three go, but then I want to usually go out of my way to grab Varsho as my first as my catcher this year. So we'll see how that goes. He hasn't really faced tough opponents yet. Um, he's hit, he's doing all right. I mean, he has an OPS over a thousand, but again, not the toughest of opponents. Can't take much away from that right now. Um, lastly, Clint Frazier, a guy who's been playing a lot, and they actually traded Harold Ramirez, which is one of the guys that would have been in competition for him. Now I think if Simmons isn't healthy, VR can play shortstop. Patrick Wisdom can play third, and then Frazier can have the DH. But as the roster stands, it's kind of a tight fit. Because if Simmons is healthy, Simmons plays shortstop, the yard of third base, 
Wisdom and, and Frazier have to fight it out at DH and Wisdom might just swing his way back into the bench or minors because the dude has like a 40% K rate last year. But Frazier is having a strong spring, mediocre, you know, 7.6 quality of opponent, which is like I said, about double A, um, higher end of it. And he has five walks to five strikeouts, so one to one K to uh, K to walk ratio. Frazier is batting 333 with a 946 OPS, has uh, has one stolen base, no home runs, but he's running, didn't get caught stealing yet. So the intent to run is there for Frazier, not necessarily meaning he'll run a ton, but you never know. And I like where it's going in terms of the playing time. He's getting a lot of looks, and that can matter, especially for a teams like team like the Cubs. Where let's see how Wisdom's doing this spring. Remember, spring training stats don't matter a ton, but when there's a when you're fighting for playing time, it sure should. And in 13 play appearances, Wisdom has five strikeouts, batting under 100. If if they're the, if the season started tomorrow, which guy do you think gets the DH trips first? The guy who's coming off a strong spring or the guy coming off a weak spring? So that's why I think spring training matters in certain situations. And not only do you want to see, like with Bellinger, for instance, who's struggling mightily, I could care less if he had 15 home runs, but if he had 15 home runs and out of 45 at-bats struck out the other, what, I can't do math, 28 bats, I'd be concerned because, sure, he has the power, but he's he's swinging and missing so much that that's more likely to carry over than the, than the positive production. We saw that with Hero last year. So that's why I think strikeouts and walks matter for hitters because you want to see good, uh, good play discipline, especially players coming off a good or bad year that was maybe like a strong finish. You want to see that carry over into spring, especially when the pitching should be easier right now for them to hit. And the last thing, I have three questions I want answers that I'm looking forward to. So, again, goes back to Hero. Will he push for playing time? Will he, will he make that push against um, against Telez? I think he will, but again, we haven't seen it yet, so we can't say it's happening. It's just that's a more of a gut feeling. Like I think it's going to happen. Um, Connor, Joe, or Sam Hilliard. I'm picking Team Joe here. However, because we've seen Joe play first base, we've seen him play the corner outfield spots a lot. The first start with you know after all that is Hilliard got it, but that was after Joe had like back to back starts. So I don't know. And then today there was a full lineup of starters, but then Connor, Joe, and Hilliard hit towards the top of the split squad lineup, the other squad, I guess, getting them more at bats. And if we look at their, um, their, their, uh, their spring training performance to this point, Sam Hilliard is hitting 214 with eight strikeouts and 15 uh, plate appearances. And Joe, that's not the right Joe. Let me put Connor in there. Connor, Joe. Okay. Apparently there's like 15 Connors or Joes. Uh, of course there's Joes. Connor Joe's batting 500 with a one with a 1,391 OPS. Uh, yeah, uh, more walks and strikeouts, flashing a little bit of power with a couple doubles and a home run. Joe, see, that's why I'm looking at it. I'm like, I don't understand why Joe wouldn't be the favorite. And then on top of that, Joe can play. Not only can he play the corner outfield spot, he can play first base. So Connor Joe can spell those guys while letting Crone and Blackman DH to just stay healthy. And Crone, you know, we all know Crone can't stay healthy. Now Hilliard has faced tougher pitching. I just look at their quality of pitcher. And then you have Hilliard who faced 8.1, so triple A. Joe's like 7.6, so closer to double A, but like upper, you know, upper double A type of thing. I don't know. Trying to speak up, trying to talk him up a little bit, but. I, I think, but Joe's crushing compared to Hilliard. So it, it's not like Joe's like mediocre against his pitching. He's crushing the pitching he's supposed to, and Hilliard's struggling against the pitching, the the, side, the height of pitching that he's going to be seeing more of. So I, I'm, again, I'm team Joe. I My gut says Joe. I'm just waiting to be shown facts. Same thing with Keston here. I just want to emphasize, I am I like Telez. I really do, but I am team Hira here. I'm, I believe in Hira making a push. I just can't say he's the guy yet. So there's no like, hey, yeah, here's the guy. No, but right now, Telez is the guy. I can freely admit that. I just don't know how long he's going to be the guy if Hero continues to outproduce him the rest of the spring training. 
That's all. And I just want to emphasize that because I don't want anybody saying, well, Curlin said here is the starter. No, I'm not saying that yet. I just want to, we have to see it first. I'm just pointing out the fact that it's trending towards it here. It's not even trending that way yet. It's just that Hira is pushing for this. Um, and last thing, Yankees, a lot of pushback on this one on Twitter. I don't necessarily disagree with it. I'm just pointing out this trend. And this trend is, is IKF, Isaiah kind of Falefa, is the starter for the Yankees at shortstop. They pretty much said as much. They've already said that um, Glaber Torres is the backup at shortstop. Cool, no problem, all good. The problem is, is um, you have Glaber at second, you have uh, Rizzo at first, and you have Donaldson at third. DJ LeMahieu is supposed to play every day. Everybody wants him to play every day. Are we just sure that, like, I mean, isn't LeMahieu, what is he? He's 33 years old. He's having a good spring. Like, there's no doubt about it, but so is Glaber. So it's not like Glaber's going to, it's not like Glaber hasn't been deserving of those, you know, those play appearances over to, uh, over LeMahieu. I think that everyone's just going to be in for a little bit of a ding in playing time. Like, to keep everyone healthy, you're going to see LeMahieu play five out of six because LeMahieu's going to go from third base to second base to first base to third base to second base. To first. It's going to be the carousel for him because he can play them all. Glaber can't play them all. And I think they want to keep Glaber's bat in the lineup. So I think, I think you're going to see. Like I said, five out of six, and that doesn't sound like a lot. But again, Lemayhu's a Lemayhu's a guy that compiles. Goes back to the whole compiler discussion. If he's if he's missing one game a week with a health again, and this is a big if, if the lineup can stay healthy, which we all know it's not going to likely stay healthy the whole year. But Lemayhu's coming off an injury stricken season too. So who's to say that maybe you know at 33 years old the injuries aren't the injuries won't start piling up or catching up to Lemayhu? Maybe they want to just keep it again. They want probably want to just keep everyone healthy. So there's going to be a steady rotation of of at bats for everybody. And everyone's going to take a little ding in playing time, but that's normal these days. My goal is 140. And I think we can get 140 out of everybody in this lineup if they all stay healthy. I just think that um, LeMahieu is a guy that needs close to 155 to really bring back that value in terms of being a compiler. So LeMahieu, for me, takes a small ding. I'm not, again, I'm not overly concerned, but it's a realistic outcome. And people are pushing back so hard saying, oh, there's no way he sits. I'm sorry, but as the roster lays out, I think LeMahieu is the util guy, except for, like I said, he's going to play plenty because they just want to keep everyone healthy. So like, there is a happy medium. People just don't want to, it's either one way or the other. I've seen, I'm getting, again, a lot of pushback on the LeMahieu thing. And maybe I'll be wrong, but again, it'll, it'll work itself out probably via injury anyway. So all this stress and frustrations for nothing, you can hear how frustrating it is because I'm not trying to paint this picture of like, oh my God, LeMahieu's not going to play. I'm just trying to paint the picture of like, hey, look at this trend happening. This could happen and LeMahieu could, play five out of six which is very small but at the same time grand scheme it's kind of a big deal if he's not playing every day because LeMahieu is that guy that needs to in terms of being because he's a compiler but he's gonna play enough to still be relevant and solid so it's, not, it's just a, again it's a small factor something again goes back to tiebreakers goes back to maybe you want to get Cronenworth instead because even though Cronenworth might not hit for as good of an average I think Cronenworth's at bats are safer um, or Luis Urias would have been another example of a, a guy who's multi-positional eligible should play more often but he's not anymore. So it's like one of those things that maybe you just make those little small tweaks to your adjust and make small adjustments, or maybe I'm wrong, which is, which is always possible. I'm just pointing out what's being shown to us. Glaber's not going to play shortstop for this team. He played today, but if you go look at his numbers, he's atrocious at shortstop. Everybody, every fan will tell you he doesn't belong even sniffing shortstop. Um, people want to see a trade, but I don't, again, I just think it's the way the game is now. People like, you're going to see Stanton play the outfield a little bit. You're going to see, you're going to find, again, they're going to find ways to get all these guys involved. So LeMahieu's going to fit. It's just us as fantasy managers need to get used to the fact that this is how the game's going. Players are playing less than ever because they have to stay healthier and they take days off over nothing compared to what they used to. Any little knickknack injury keeps a player out for two, three days. Easy. Like, like these, the day of the Ironman is dead. 
And I hate to say it, but and so that goes back to, and teams are kind of treating it that way too. Teams are making these decisions for us. Not even the players at this point. I don't know. So yeah, those are the main things that, have, that are on my mind. Again, there's a lot more full article on the athletic. I'm going to do a lot. I'm going to do a couple more of these podcasts leading into the season. I'll probably do a full an hour long one right before the season starts, just so we can get some real stuff going. Don't forget to check me out on Twitter at Mike underscore Curlin and check out the spring train lab tracker. I update my notes daily. Um, Patreon gets some, I, I set them up in a really uh, reader, reader friendly platform on Patreon for you guys to read. Um, and as well, as well as like, again, a few extra bonus write-ups. I try to do like an extra one to two bonus write-ups a day on players and on trends and players. I'm noticing more in depth uh, write-ups anyway. And the athletic, I guess I have an article coming out outlining every single team. So um, yeah, staying busy with lineups, spring training stuff. That's what you'll see from this. So I hope you guys enjoy it. And again, um, starting this week, hopefully we're going to get those dynasty episodes out. I, like I said, new co-host, it'll be announced. You're listening to this today on Monday. It'll be announced today on Twitter. Um, so yeah, I guess I could say it. It's going to be Ryan Venancio. He writes for SK Playbook. He has his own podcast. Um, oh my goodness. He's going he's gonna to kill me. If you're still listening to this, sorry, Ryan. Um, oh my goodness. I'll find it. I even told myself what it was before I started pressing play just so I wouldn't screw it up. Um, it's not on your Twitter, dude. What the hell? Next on deck podcast. There it is. It's pinned his Twitter though. The next on deck podcast is his main podcast. He's still going to do that podcast. He's just coming over here as going to be a co-host of ours now. And we're going to do all things dynasty with him start once a week, starting hopefully again, starting this week. So Ryan, great dude. He's been he's been around since back when Baseload Network was a thing, which a lot of you guys might not have even heard of because it lasted like a month or two. But he's been a good friend of mine since. Um, we he's a hard worker, and I'm really happy to have him a part of the team. So, um, if you're listening to this, it's Ven underscore Armbarn. He's been a guest on this podcast before. Go follow him. And um, like I said, it's gonna be announced on Twitter. So, appreciate you all for listening. Five star rating review on your way out. It's greatly appreciated. Don't forget to check out the Spring Train Lab Tracker. I'm just repeating myself. Have a good one. <laughs>